0: How do you make sense of the fact that there are 2.2 billion people who call themselves Christian in our world today? Now, obviously that's a big question, uh, lots of possible answers, but it's the kind of question that historians ask uh, when they want to go back and work out what happened in history. They don't just ask, what happened? They ask uh, a couple of questions, a series of questions that kind of approaches it a better way. They ask, what do we have right now? Because that's really obvious. We know what we've got now. We have 2.2 billion people who are at least claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. So first they ask, what do we have now? And then they ask, what is the best explanation for how we got to this that fits all the evidence that we've got? What do we have now? But How could we have got to that? What's the best explanation? Can I say that it's an especially important question uh, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian? Uh, because it's an unavoidable question. Right? Uh, but here, in this lecture theatre, we have about 100 people uh, calling themselves Christians. And there has to be some reason for this. Uh, why, uh, why is this so? How do we get to this point? And as you ask this question, well, there's probably an immediate answer behind it, but eventually you get all the way back to the beginning. Uh, to the question of how did Christianity start in the first place? How did it get going?
1: And that's what we'll be doing this
0: semester at New Church. We're uh, looking at the start of the church, how it uh, springs up and how it spreads around the world. And uh, we want to tackle it a bit like a startup. We, we want to think what is the startup story of the church? And if you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll find it a compelling account as we go through this semester. Uh, something that helps uh, make sense of the world that you see around us, uh, a, a history um, that makes sense of the claims of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, I hope it will help uh, you to see your place in this big story as well. Um, that by looking at the start of the church, we'll be able to see our place in the mission of God in the world. And so tonight we're going to see the first a couple of steps of that start story. We're going to... Catch the vision, and then we're going to get going. There are two points that we cover off this chapter. Catch the vision, then get going. So first, catch the vision. What's this start all about anyway? Uh, well, it's about the Kingdom of God. Have a look at the first story. Uh, we're told uh, Jesus is there. He appeared to them, the disciples, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the Kingdom of God. That's what he's telling his disciples. Uh, Acts is um, part two of Luke's Gospel. So Luke's Gospel is is the story of Jesus, and uh, Luke writes this double-scroll epic, uh, and verse one of Acts starts like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So the former book is Luke's Gospel, and that's about all Jesus began to do before he was taken up to heaven. And now, uh, Acts is part two. It's about what Jesus continues to do. Uh, he hasn't gone, uh, he hasn't disappeared, right? Uh, he's ascended, but he's still at work. Uh, this is Jesus continuing his work of planting his kingdom into the world. And so, Acts is like the sequel, right? Uh, same storyline, uh, but the next phase. Kind of like if they made Lion King 2, and uh, the story was all about how uh, Simba, continue to go on as, as King of Pride Rock and everything. Uh, it's like that. It's what Jesus is continuing to do. So this startup is about the kingdom of God. Uh, but what is this kingdom like? What's it about? What's the vision? Because it's possible get the wrong impression of what the kingdom of God is all about. Uh, I think that's true today. People get the wrong idea of uh, what church is. And I think church is just a kind of that's trying to make a good society, or uh, on about helping people,
1: and that might be part of it, but
0: that's not quite right. Uh, but as we look at this chapter, we find that the disciples have got the wrong idea too. Uh, so what's happening is Jesus is explaining it all to them how he's going to send them the promised gift, uh, the Holy Spirit, and they respond with verse six. Have a look with me, uh, verse six. Uh, this is the disciples. Then they gathered around him and asked him. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) Guys, guys, you don't get it, right? They don't get it. Um, John Calvin writes about this verse. He says, there are as many errors in this question as words. (laughs) And he's not even joking. The whole thing is wrong. Uh, but, and that helps us, right? So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to dig into this, uh, this sentence, this question, and we're going to uh, see how they kind of have the vision wrong. And that's going to help us catch the vision properly. So, have a look. Firstly, the verb is wrong. Restore. Uh, they're thinking God's going to come and reestablish the political kingdom of Israel. That's what they mean by restore. That's what they've got in mind. They think, oh, he's to, are you going to bring back King David times? Make Israel great again. That kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but it's not that. Catch the vision. It's not a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Not a political kingdom. A spiritual kingdom. How at the vision statement of verse 8? Jesus says, uh, in answer to this question, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witness. So it's going to be the spiritual kingdom that the Holy Spirit comes and it's going to work through the disciples to bring people back to God. And the, the disciples are going to go out and they're going to be witnesses. They're going to tell people about everything that Jesus did. And uh, they're going to call on people to trust Jesus as their Lord. Not uh, ruler over a nation, but ruler over them, over their hearts, their Saviour of their lives it's not a political kingdom it's a spiritual kingdom Jesus will rule in people the disciples get it wrong but I think we make the same kind of mistakes too uh, we don't often equate Australia with God's kingdom uh, and kind of mess them up but I think we still get something to thinking about God's kingdom in worldly terms right? there's even a name for it uh, they call it moralistic therapeutic days. Moralistic therapeutic days. It's where you vibe you that the goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself and so God must be on about that. Uh, moralistic because he wants me to kind of do good things and therapeutic because uh, his job is to help me out when I get stuck. But that's kind of what uh, the disciples are messing up here. They think it's in terms of a political kingdom. And we do the same thing, we think of it in worldly terms, we just kind of make it like a lifestyle kingdom. But the risen Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom where people come to him as Lord. It's not a political kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. And so, uh, the verb wrong. It's not a restoration. But the noun is wrong as well. Uh, They think he's coming to restore the kingdom to Israel. Uh, they're still thinking Israel. Uh, Jesus is, is God's king, we've got that, but uh, God's people are the, are the Israelites, so surely we're still on about the Jews here. Uh, but it's not that. Catch the vision. It's not a national kingdom. It's an international kingdom. Have a look at the next verse 8. He goes on to say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, they ask, oh, are you going to bring the kingdom here to us? And Jesus says, no, no, you're going to take the kingdom out there. You're going to need passports for this, right? Uh, the disciples uh, messing up, they, they think it's going to be national, but actually it's going to be international, reaching <coughs> uh, different people and races and tribes all over the place. And they going it wrong. But we make the same kind of mistakes, too, Uh, Like, a while back, I heard about uh, a guy who was a missionary to Perth, right? Uh, He was from South Korea, and he'd come to work with an Aboriginal church here in Perth. And it really struck me. Because my mind was just like, that's really weird, What, what, what is going on there? But I just don't think, no. The kingdom doesn't revolve around me and people like me. Uh, the kingdom really is international. They see people from everywhere. And here is a guy from another place. we actually the kingdom strong. So strong that they're thinking about how they can reach the ends of the earth and come to the earth. And they saw a need amongst a people here in Australia. Indigenous Australians too. Maybe don't have as much struck by it, that there are people even around us uh, that don't have access to the gospel that they should. And so I know that the kingdom is meant to be international and to reach all kinds of people but I don't always think that. But it's not a national kingdom. It's an international kingdom. It takes in everyone. So the nouns are on, the verbs are on. And the adverb is wrong as well. So I'll explain what that is. I don't as well. <laughs> uh, uh, he says, uh, or Lord, Lord, they say to Jesus, Lord, are you at this time? That's the adverb. At this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they think it's going to happen uh, kind of straight away. They think it's going to be instantaneous. Uh, the gift will come, a uh, Holy Spirit, and boom, the, the kingdom will arrive and uh, everything with it and all the work's done. But that's not it. Catch the vision. It's not an instant kingdom. It's a spreading kingdom. Have a look at verse 7. Jesus says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. on." So you don't get to know the timing, but you get to do the work. It's a spreading kingdom because the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower the disciples to take the gospel out, to go and be Jesus' witnesses, uh, to witness to everything that is said and done. (coughs) The disciples have got it wrong in their heads, but we make the same kind of mistake too. I think we think that somehow God's kingdom is going to grow automatically, right? As if God will do some kind of magic and he'll. zap churches into existence all over the place. I guess he could do that, but he doesn't. He sends his spirit into his people. So they spread the good news about Jesus, and that's how the church grows. There's no church I know of that wasn't built by real people filled with the spirit, who gave money and built buildings, and invited people, and shared the gospel, and prayed, and poured their heart and soul and life into it to make it happen. It's not an instant. It's a spring. And that's why we get this uh, marvellous little account of Jesus' ascension. Have a look at there from verse 9. After he said this, uh, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, I don't know why, but as I read that in my head, at least, I, the, the voice is like a ocker bloke, some, some kind of Aussie saying, Mate, what are you doing Looking into the sky like a fish. <laughs> <laughs> Up there, look down here, get cracking, right? Uh, Here's where the action is, get started. And that's the second half of this passage. The the first half uh, is kind of about the vision, the big picture of of what is going on, the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, But now, uh, the call is to get going. And to their credit, they do. They get started. Uh, They get going. Have a look at uh, what they do. they get going on the spiritual kingdom. They go to Jerusalem, just like Jesus said, they obey King Jesus and they pray. Uh, a spiritual kingdom has to have prayer as its currency. Uh, nothing happens without it. It saturates everything. You ought to get going in uh, serving the kingdom of Jesus, you pray. That's what you do. Uh, prayer isn't just like break glass and take minutes emergency, like in exam time, for Christians. It's, it's how you get going in building the kingdom. Because it's a spiritual kingdom. You pray to God to change people spiritually. (coughs) So they listen to Jesus, they pray, and then they pick a name out of a hat. Um, Not quite, but that's the kind of first thing they do. Uh, They work out who's going to replace uh, Judas. And it's really important. They see that the whole uh, Judas experience was part of God's plan. This wasn't uh, somehow uh, things getting all messed up. This is... uh, Scripture had to be fulfilled, Peter be said, and so now they see in Scripture the need for a re- replacement. But look at the criteria; it's really important. Uh, verse twenty-one. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time Jesus was living from us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these. Must become a witness with us of his resurrection. See, they're learning nothing. Huh? they're doing well. Remember the vision statement from verse eight. Jesus says, "You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth." And they work that out. They said, well, "It needs to be someone who's, who's been around the whole time and who is a witness." That's the thing that defines the apostles. They are the witnesses of Jesus and, crucially, witnesses of the resurrection. And that's why this uh, strange little disciple election uh, is so important. It's so that, as we read it, we can have confidence in the apostles as those witnesses. Because everything hinges on whether you can trust them. And so you see it there, uh, this guy is God's pick. Um, have a look in verse 24. Uh, as they uh, choose um, by a lot, uh, which one will be between uh, these two men? Uh, they pray this. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. You have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. See, what we know about Jesus comes from the apostles, from their writing as they uh, wrote and uh, helped to write the uh, the Gospels, from their evangelism, from their church planning. uh, And they're like the first members of this startup as it gets going. And so we need to know and be confident that they are true witnesses, that they're chosen by God, that they saw everything that Jesus did, that they were there from the beginning, and that they saw the risen Jesus themselves. Because it does boil down to the resurrection. And that's the answer to our question from the very beginning. When historians ask the question, how did, how did we get to all these Christians in the first place? What was the thing that really sparked it? The <coughs> answer is the resurrection. That Jesus was raised, that people saw that, saw him, and went out and spread that message. Historian judge Charles Moore it like this, he says, if the coming into existence of the Christians rips a great hole in history, a hole the size and shape of the resurrection, what does the secular historian propose to stop up with? The resurrection caused such a huge impact in our world. <laughs> uh, and that's what we're going to see as we uh, go through this semester. the resurrection and the witnesses to the resurrection are sparked a movement which has grown and grown and grown until we get to tonight. uh, To to here, to this group of people, are trusting in the Lord Jesus because of those witnesses to the resurrection. That's what we're looking at as we go through Acts. We're going to see the kingdom spreading through these witnesses. We're going to see how the risen Jesus Uh, starts his church and takes it to the ends of the earth. We're going to see uh, how it's a spiritual kingdom, how Jesus is Lord, how there is no other name uh, by which people can be saved. We're going to see it as an international kingdom. We're going to see uh, the gospel spread and take in uh, Jew and Gentile, uh, people from uh, every nation. And we're going to see it as a spreading kingdom as the gospel goes out towards the ends of the earth. And we're going to see our part. Because here's the little wrinkle, right? Acts doesn't finish at the ends of the earth. Uh, It it finishes in chapter 28 in Rome. And really, that's kind of the opposite, right? Uh, Rome is the centre of the world. It's definitely on the ends of the earth. And I think the point is that the ends of the earth is still up to grabs, right? Uh, That's still happening. There's a church planting network that call themselves uh, the Acts Twenty Nine Network because it's only twenty-eight chapters in Acts, right? <laughs> and I don't know that much about them, but that's a killer name, right? <laughs> it's so good because what they've got they picked up the idea that the next phase of this spreading kingdom it's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to us as we catch the vision for Jesus as Lord of our Lord. Get going! Telling people about all that he said and did, about his resurrection power and his glory.